Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, this is Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to the Bay Curious Podcast. We're a show that answers your questions about the San Francisco Bay Area. And today, we're going to start the episode by venturing back in time and into the night. It's the 1950s, and while most folks around the Bay Area have tucked themselves in by midnight, all cozy in their warm beds, things in San Francisco's Fillmore District are just heating up. Jazz is on special here every night of the week. Take a stroll down Fillmore Street and you might run into Billie Holiday stepping out of a restaurant or Thelonious Monk smoking a cigarette. The music of Dizzy Gillespie bleeds through the door of a music venue. Step inside and you're front and center for why this neighborhood gets the moniker Harlem of the West. In the 1940s and 50s, the Fillmore was the spot on the West Coast to see the jazz greats. Until it wasn't. Today on the show, how the Fillmore became a national hotspot for jazz and how city planners dismantled it. This story was inspired by a winning question from a public voting round on baycurious.org, and it first aired in 2020. But we're bringing it back today because this story is also featured in our newly released book, Bay Curious, exploring the hidden true stories of the San Francisco Bay Area, which I'll just mention is available at a local bookstore near you. We'll turn up the music right after this. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. We're delving into how a small neighborhood in San Francisco became an epicenter for jazz. Reporter Bianca Taylor brings us the story. 
Like so much of San Francisco history, the story of the Fillmore can be traced back to the day the city shook. After the earthquake, pretty much all of, of San Francisco relocated to the Fillmore simply because it was the closest place to downtown that survived relatively intact the earthquake and subsequent fire. Elizabeth Pepin Silva is a filmmaker and co-author of the book Harlem of the West. She grew up in San Francisco. When she was a teenager, she got a job working for music promoter Bill Graham at the Fillmore Auditorium. It's how she first started digging into the history of the neighborhood. Once downtown was rebuilt, the local Fillmore Neighborhoods Merchants Association were trying to figure out a way to keep people coming back to the neighborhood. It was decided that the Fillmore would be San Francisco's entertainment center. In 1909, an amusement park called the Fillmore Chutes was built, complete with a wooden roller coaster and Ferris wheel. And three years later, the Fillmore Auditorium. You know, there were beer halls. It was, it was a really fun, exciting place. It was a place to go have fun. But it was mainly for white people. Yes, San Francisco was segregated. But in the Fillmore, it was a little bit different. The earthquake had damaged a lot of neighborhoods where people of color were allowed to live in the city. But the surviving Fillmore district had inexpensive real estate and a history of accepting immigrants. So through the early 1900s up until the 1940s, you had Filipinos, Mexicans, African-Americans, Russians, Japanese-Americans, and Jewish people all living next door to one another. And it was really became known as one of the most integrated neighborhoods west of the Mississippi. On December 7th, 1941, Japan, like its infamous Axis partners, struck first and declared war afterwards. Then Pearl Harbor was bombed, and the country changed completely. Japanese Americans are forced into uh, concentration camps and, and left this huge hole in the Fillmore District. At the same time, there was a push to recruit African-Americans from the Midwest to work the shipyards in San Francisco and Richmond. And they were given a free train ticket and promise of a job. And they're like, come on out, we need you. African-Americans arriving in San Francisco moved into empty apartments the Japanese-Americans had been forced out of. Between 1940 and 1950, the Black population of San Francisco grew tenfold. By 1945, some 30,000 African-Americans were living in the city. With this surge in population came an explosion in the Fillmore of Black-owned businesses, nightclubs, restaurants, and bars, like... Circle Star. I hung out at Bob City. You know, like Jack's on Southern. The Blue Mirror. Booker T. Washington Hotel. And you could go out on Friday night and not come home till Sunday night because there is so much to do. And so that's how the Fillmore became Harlem of the West. You know, you play in the city, it just feels so wonderful that you have an audience of that caliber who enjoy your music. 
Terry Hilliard, who we're hearing on this track by Cal Jader, is a bass player who started playing in the Fillmore District when he was just a student at SF State. We had great crowds, people really dressed up nice. The places were very elegant. And it was, it was just a lot of joy. The Fillmore was one of the few places where, as a black man, Terry could play a venue and enter through the front door. When we played a private party, we'd have to come in through the loading dock. We'd play the show, and then we'd come back down to the kitchen. Didn't feel that in the Fillmore. Fillmore, they were, they were black clubs. I want a Sunday. Jazz singer Mary Stallings, who we're hearing here, was born in the Fillmore District in 1939. My family came from the Midwest, and I was the first born in uh, San Francisco. She started singing gospel in her neighborhood church when she was eight years old. Growing up in that area, um, walking to church in the morning, you cross that Fillmore area, it was just... um, Music everywhere. God, music everywhere. Uh, it was just a, a, a experience and feeling, and I knew that I was living something very special. What a difference a day made. Twenty-four little hours. When she was older, Mary worked at jazz clubs where she got to see her idols perform when they came through town, like Dinah Washington. When I was a kid, I used to um, imitate Billy Eckstein. I used to imitate Dinah Washington. I used to imitate um, Billy Holiday, well, later Billy. And it's amazing. I worked with all these people and knew these people personally. But Mary and Terry both say it wasn't just the music that made the film more special. You felt like you were cared for, you know. You, you had a home life, but everybody else was your family, too, you know. The reason it was so different is because of the culture had a culture that that was a place where talent could be developed, whether it be music, art, dancing, or whatever. It was there. It was a, it was a place where you could ex- express yourself and be accepted by others, and you had an audience. I just don't see that today. Why don't you see that today? After World War II, President Truman signed the 1949 Housing Act, which authorized the demolition and reconstruction of urban neighborhoods that were considered slums. This policy of redevelopment specifically targeted neighborhoods that were low-income and not white. So in the 1960s, with its old Victorian houses and mostly Black population, the Fillmore became the focus of San Francisco's urban renewal. Jazz clubs were shuttered, businesses torn down. Geary Street turned into the massive four-lane Geary Boulevard, slicing through the heart of the neighborhood. Residents were forced out of their homes, often without much warning or adequate compensation. To city planners, this was urban renewal, but to the residents of the Fillmore, it felt like something else. And this is part of our redevelopment also. What do you mean? You say redevelopment, meaning... You mean removal of Negroes. Uh, yes, that's, 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 that's what you mean. 
That's writer James Baldwin. In 1963, he came to San Francisco to interview Black residents for a documentary produced by KQED. In the film called Take This Hammer, Baldwin points out that even though San Francisco thinks of itself as a progressive city, its policies, like those of redevelopment, made it no different from Birmingham, Alabama. I imagine it would be easy if any white person walking through San Francisco to imagine that everything was at peace. Because it certainly looks that way on the, you know, on the surface. But San Francisco is much prettier than New York. And it's, and it's easier to hide in San Francisco than it is in New York. Because you've got the view, you've got the hills, you've got, you got the San Francisco legend, too, which is that it's a cosmopolitan and um, forward-looking well, it's just another American city. The redevelopment of the Fillmore was one of the largest projects of urban renewal on the West Coast. It impacted nearly 20,000 people. And by the time new housing and storefronts were finally completed in the 1980s, most of the former Fillmore residents couldn't afford to move back in. According to the U.S. Census, in the 1970s, 10% of San Francisco's population identified as Black. Today, that number is half. Mary Stallings still lives in San Francisco, but says going back to the Fillmore now breaks her heart. I was trying to explain that in, in another interview, and I, I, I didn't get very far because I cried like a baby. Because <laughs> um, I, missed, I missed the community feeling, the feeling of family. Terry Hilliard lives in Oakland now. He kept playing music in the Bay Area, but says all the musicians he played with back then left and went to New York. They couldn't afford to live here. The only ones, the good musicians who stayed here were those who had jobs like me. I ended up being a computer programmer and others worked at other jobs and they had, and we just played as often as we could together. Jazz in the Fillmore isn't entirely dead. You can catch a live jazz show six days a week at the Boom Boom Room on Fillmore and Geary. The free two-day Fillmore Jazz Festival draws big performers each summer. But is it still the Harlem of the West? Elizabeth Pepin Silva says, Oh, absolutely not. No way. No. Cities change. It's easy to romanticize the past. But listening to Mary talk about her childhood in the Fillmore, she keeps using this word. It was just so magical as I look back. It was just just magic. You know, I use that terminology when things are just, can't explain it. I, I want love as on the sway. Jazz singer Mary Stallings. I'd like to find somebody who cares. That story was reported by KQED's Bianca Taylor. I'm on a lonely road that leads to nowhere. A written version of this story is one of the 49 included in our newly released book, Bay Curious, Exploring the Hidden True Stories of the San Francisco Bay Area. Be sure to check it out and learn some fascinating things, like how mountain bikes first got rolling in Marin, or how a once popular island became a ghost town in the middle of San Francisco Bay. You can find details at kqed.org slash baycuriousbook.
We've also got a book event coming up on Thursday, August 24th at Blackbird Bookstore in San Francisco's Outer Sunset. Come by to hear me tell some stories. We'll also play a little mini trivia game and have some audience Q&A. Oh, and I'll be signing books too. The event is free and starts at 7 p.m. This is our last event on the calendar for a while, so I really hope to see you there. Today's episode was produced by Katrina Schwartz and Asal Asanapur. Audio engineering was by Rob Spate and Christopher Beale. The Bay Curious team also includes Amanda Font. Additional support from Jen Xian, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, and Holly Kernan. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. I'm your host and senior editor, Olivia Allen-Price. Stay curious and have a wonderful week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.